Hello and welcome back to These Are The Things, the podcast about podcasts, about social media and all things streaming and online. Again, it's been a while. I think it's been just less than a month, but um, it's summertime and there's not a huge amount of things coming out there. And what I am going to talk about is probably the last subject that I would ever have thought that I'd base a podcast on, because when it comes to crime dramas or novels about death or murder or even whodunits. It's not something that intrigues me or engages me. I'm far more character driven and uh, character based dramas are something that drives me in rather than the plot. And this is not a novel. It's not fiction. Sadly, it's a tale of a real life crime in a very real area in a place that is close to my heart. I just adore Cork, particularly West Cork. It's one of the most beautiful parts of Ireland and I think this is part of the reason, well one of the many reasons that this tragic tale grabs people's imagination. It's, well there's, it never rains but it pours. There are now two documentaries. One Um, by Jim Sheridan that was put out on uh, Sky Crime which is also available on Now TV called Murder at the Cottage Um, that was released on Sunday Sunday the 20th and on the 1st of July Netflix are putting out their documentary called Sophie a Murder in West Cork on top of this, there has been a podcast that I've been hearing about non-stop, but I've just avoided for the reasons that I've just said, um, called West Cork Murder, Murder, and that's available on audio. Um, it's an audio original podcast, and I did avoid it, but with what everything that I saw and learnt, and there's been a little bit of controversy about Jim Sheridan's documentary, so I just needed to back it up to see if it was overly biased and actually from what I can gather the these podcasts the podcast and the documentary I haven't seen the Netflix documentary yet they seem to be very similar in that they are very character based they have both have huge access to Ian Bailey throughout um he is the accused for those of you who don't know um and Jim, in particular, has a lot of access to Sophie's family, both both of her parents up until the death of her mother. Her son gives incredibly in-depth interviews, and he's there, there right, through, right through the end, and Sophie's brother, and Sophie's friend. And um, the West Cork documentaries is more kind of based in the area itself. Um, the... Uh, podcast makers Sam Bigley and Jennifer Ford actually went to live in the area I think for a period of two years they were researching it for almost five years before they they put it out there. Jim Sheridan's documentary which is called Murder at the Cottage is incredibly cinematic as you would expect from Jim Sheridan he is the director of My Left Foot and In the Name of the Father It's beautiful and it's haunting in the way that it captures that part of Cork. And it's easy to capture that because there's a terrible beauty about that 
part of the world. It it is violent as as Sophie's son tragically described it. Sophie had originally decided to move to Ireland, buy a house in Ireland. It was her dream. And her husband, who was the French film producer, Daniel Toscan de Plantier, bought her as a gift a house in Ireland. And she couldn't decide whether she would buy in a very tranquil part of Connemara or what Sophie's son describes as the terrible, violent beauty of this part of West Cork, where the, the mountains and the sea can look quite vicious at times but also incredibly beautiful. And Jim's um, cameraman picks that up beautifully. And Jim also plays into the mystique and the legends of the area and the reason that Sophie, about two days before her death, saw what they call in West Cork the White Lady and she was traumatised by this and ran to neighbours and they thought that she should stay with them because she would she knew of the legend apparently if you see the white lady um some tragedy is around the corner but she decided to stay by herself we get a better idea of sophie the person through jim sheridan's documentary because we see beautiful footage of her taken by her husband and i think part of the myth of Sophie for a lot of us. I remember hearing of her death and she died on the 23rd, was murdered on the 23rd of December. And hearing of the story in the mid 90s in Ireland where there was very little violence in the country at that time. We were just overcoming the troubles in the North, but in the Republic, there was little or no violence. So to hear of this beautiful French lady who was just 39 years of age at the time, just five foot in height, very petite, very elegant blonde in that underplayed Parisian way, just kind of captive, captivated the public's imagination. And she came from this very glamorous French Tuscan de Plantier uh, cinematic background. She seemed to live a very glamorous life and the thought of her living the very simple life that she was in that cottage and to come to that tragic end was just unbearable to think of. So we get an idea of her. Her father speaks with such pride of the intelligent girl that she was growing up but had wasn't exactly the most obedient so at the age of 17 they sent her to boarding school. She was wayward and passionate and seemed to have very romantic notions of life. She wanted all a love that captivated her. And I think it goes into various parts of Sophie's life. Um, the end of her first marriage, she wasn't exactly happy with Daniel Tuscan de Plantier. Uh, she had affairs and she had certain men who came to the cottage, which kind of brought intrigue and that was written about first in the papers. Um, I suppose living a small rural life in Ireland, somebody living this glamorous life who's having living a life of passion kind of captivated everybody's imagination when everyone's life seems to be dull, especially in the depths of winter in Ireland. She seemed to have the bright life that came to such a tragic end. But in both 
the podcast and the documentary, Ian Bailey, who is the accused, plays a role which he relishes and revels in. I've never seen anybody who craves notoriety in the way that he does. Ian Bailey um, came to Ireland at the age of 34. He had been a journalist in the UK. Um, He had a broken marriage. Uh, He had also fallen out with his former employer. Um, Money went missing. There's a lot of um, untold stories there and a lot of unanswered questions about what happened. But he came to Ireland and kind of started work as a, a farm labourer and did a lot of physical work around the place because he couldn't get work as a journalist. He'd grown up in Gloucestershire and to very working class parents and went to a grammar school. So he was an intelligent boy and then went on to university and then he married somebody who was seemed to be much more of the upper middle class um, background that he seemed to relish and wanted to break into. And his sister speaks about the fact that Ian completely changed his accent. She even at one point, this is in the documentary and the podcast, she talks about the fact that she wondered where he had gone for lessons, that it wasn't just something that it was an amateur developing this upper crust English accent. This was very much somebody who had worked very, very hard in it. So then he moved to Ireland. And again, we see a change in identity. When we hear Ian Bailey speak, he's got this very Anglo-Irish poetic accent. It's very dramatic. And when he moved finally to Skull and has set himself up as a poet, and a freelance journalist. He was also working part-time as a fishmonger. He had developed this very, very West British kind of accent, but had dabbled and would, you know, drop the odd Irish word in, garamagath, a garah, drop those into sentences here and there. And had also started to call himself Owen Bailey, so that he could... He thought that people, well, he thought, I just think he likes changing identity. He said he calls himself Owen Bailey because he thought he would be taken more seriously as a journalist. But he wasn't because he came to West Cork, he came to Skull. And if one thing we do well here in Ireland is making everybody feel like a blow-in. In fact, we make people who have been living in this country for 700 years feel like Blowens. So Ian Bailey thought that by calling himself Owen Bailey that he would be accepted as a local. He was very much mistaken. Um, So we get a great idea from both the podcast and the documentary, a great idea of the characters. And I think, again, this is why I'm I'm drawn into this story. Um, From Jim Sheridan's documentary, we really get a sense of Sophie's family and her son Pierre Louis who was just 15, 15 years old when his mother was murdered. I was astonished to find out that he goes back to the cottage several times a year and until alone does he bring his wife and children back there he hasn't actually changed anything about that kitchen setup from the night that Sophie left. Her coat is still on the door 
at one point he actually puts the coat on his wife for her to wear and it's just it's heartbreaking and it's really haunting to watch really haunting but where Jim Sheridan gets criticism is that he doesn't draw you in to believe that Ian Bailey is either guilty or innocent. I think he lets you make up your mind. And I can see the frustration with him because he da- he focuses the camera a lot on Ian and he allows Ian's character to unravel and to reveal itself in as much as you can with a man who is clearly playing a role. We don't even know what his real accent is. Nothing about this man is real. Whereas he spoke and he asked very direct questions of Jules because Ian was known as somebody who was very violent towards his partner Jules, who he lived with in West Cork. In fact, during some interviews, Neighbours said that when they heard that a woman was found dead in Skull, many people just automatically assumed it was Jules because her daughters had come had to come running to the house of Neighbours several times to rescue Jules during violent incidents with Ian. Now both Ian and Jules say that this was down to whiskey and that he's fine with all other alcohol and indeed he drinks throughout all the interviews. One gulp of wine seems to get rid of a glass. But Jim sits back and allows Ian to reveal himself. And we see that what he really wants to be is the centre of attention. And in the podcast documentary, Ian talks about inviting the uh, the producers of the podcast to to come to the op- the launch of his book of poetry and they were unable to make it and they stay over a phone call how was it and he says yes it was very good it was attended by Jeremy Irons and Sinead Cusack and I said oh really did they know you and he said well yes we're talking about three very well-known people Jeremy Irons, Sinead Cusack and Ian Bailey. I he He puts himself on a pedestal with international film stars. In the Jim Sheridan documentary, at one point, he's very drunk at a party he supposedly held for poor Jules, who is an introvert and has no interest in having a party for herself. He is at the table and he's talking about the wonderful life he had in London. And he said that he was, you know, a journalist out and about. And Princess Diana had an eye for me. Really, and I mean, we all knew that Princess Diana was a pretty bad judge character, but well, this confirms it, if you can believe him. But while Jim's documentary deals very much with Ian and sitting back and letting him reveal himself, the West Cork Murder podcast very much tells the story about the effect this had on the community. Um, and how, when there wasn't a main suspect, how they kind of turned on each other and you started blaming everyone and started questioning, well, just how well do I know this person? At one point, a man admits, and he, he feels deep shame for doing this, 
He went to the guards and reported a man who he thought could possibly be a suspect. Why could he be a suspect? Because he was in his 40s and living alone with his mother. So that was seen as odd behaviour. It just shows you just how crazy you can drive yourself and each other in a small village where you actually desperately want to find the person who did this crime. But for the best part of 25 years, Ian Bailey has played the role of the main suspect. Rightfully or wrongfully, watch it for yourself to see why he is seen as the main suspect. But he he has done a crime here. And the main crime, as was pointed out by Jim Sheridan, regardless of whether he did it or not, he has put himself in the limelight and sat quite comfortably so much so that no, the guards haven't really dug any other avenues to find out who did it. And the tragedy of both documentaries and at the end of the podcast is that a woman was horrifically murdered, brutally murdered, and someone is walking free for that murder. But uh, I've given a lot of spoilers there, but this isn't about the crime and you don't get to find out who did it at the end. So there is no spoiler in that. What it reveals is the character and to watch how they speak and how they play and the murkiness and the lack of experience from the Gardaí, which is our police force here in Ireland. This was a small country area who had dealt with nothing other than the odd drunk driver or the very odd robbery. I mean, prior to this, people kept their front door keys on the front door of their house. Their back door was always open. Windows were already open. It was a safe place. So there was absolutely no experience whatsoever um, for the Gardaí to go on. But it's fascinating, and it's fascinating to see the characters unravel. And how people can be in the most horrific situation as Jules Thomas is. And how you decide to stay there from, I don't know what, low self-esteem. Uh, a put-down woman, a put-upon woman for all these years. It's just absolutely tragic, but captivating. Believe me, if you want to watch something over the weekend, there is five hours, is it five hours? Under five hours of the Jim Sheridan documentary. And there is eight, uh, no. Yeah, there's eight hours of the West Court podcast. So there's so much to delve into there. And so many unanswered questions. So many and so many interesting characters. Wouldn't like to be hanging out with them, but they're fascinating to watch from a distance. So speaking of accents and things changing, something that I have, I saw this back in March. It's a young Taiwanese girl who lives in America called Angie Yen, who's now changed her name to Angie Makian, who woke up with an Irish accent. She has no Irish friends. She has never been to Ireland. She just woke up one morning, started singing in the shower, thought there was something funny about her voice, went to work. They all couldn't understand why she was speaking this way and had developed this 
really strong kind of northern Irish accent. She couldn't understand it. She's been um, to several um, consultants. Apparently there has been nine cases of this in the world, which is foreign accent syndrome. I don't think it is what Ian Bailey suffers from, but this is something that with absolutely no intention, no experience, it is not anywhere in your subconscious, somehow, some way, you start speaking with a foreign accent. And this poor girl, is, there's nothing physically wrong with her. She's still going to work. She's still functioning. She's absolutely mortified. She has described some of it is, uh, is going through the five stages of grief because people who suffer from this syndrome, which there are very few, have never actually regained their former accent. So she is now living, I think she's living somewhere in Texas, a Taiwanese girl speaking with thick Irish accent. But I have seen her recently on Irish television and she's adorable, an absolute delight. I'm just going to put the link down below for her TikTok page because it's just amazing to watch, to see how this poor, unfortunate girl woke up with an Irish accent. Now, speaking of accents, I'm keeping this short today. Speaking of accents, I don't know if you saw at the beginning of the year um, Alec Baldwin's wife, Chiaria, who has now six children by Alec Baldwin, um, all named Romeo, Leo, Carmen. Uh, I can't remember the others called, all Spanish names. She has spoken at the WHO, um, referencing the benefits of growing up on a Mediterranean diet, because, you know, she's Spanish. So she says. She spoke with a thick Spanish accent. She went on American TV and had to be told the, the word, the English word for cucumber because she didn't know it because she's Spanish. Well, it was all revealed around January, all part of light entertainment, and I slightly felt sorry for her because it was slightly mortifying that she is not, in fact, Spanish. She is, in fact, um, from Boston, from a very wealthy background in Boston, very comfortable. There is no reason whatsoever why she would have developed this. Now, I have some sympathy. Now, I'm not quite Angie McEan who wakes up in the morning with a different accent, and I'm certainly not Ian Bailey who goes down and develops uh, an upper English crossed accent. If it did things for real life, maybe, I don't know, maybe. But I do. I. If I'm concentrating really hard on what somebody's saying and really listening to them, I will develop their accent. I have, and I'm so ashamed of this, and I say this with absolutely no pride whatsoever, I lived for a year in France. Didn't learn a word of French, but I would go out at night and speak to people in broken English. It was mortifying. Like, it was only when friends would look at me and, like, go, what is wrong with you? And, be, uh, you know, he's, I had one of those days, you know, is it's mortifying. I I would meet um, Americans, tourists, when I was a child that asked me for directions. And I'd give them the directions in an American accent. So I do have sympathy. I don't know how or why that happens to me. Um, I think, if I'm not drinking and I'm concentrating properly on what I'm saying now, I, I think I have 
I, I don't do it as much, but it's something I'm mortified about. So I have some sympathy for my, for Aria, Hillary, Hillary is her name, um, who, who has developed, who went to Spain and came back with broken English and decided to name all her kids Spanish names. And but you know what, you know where this cuts off? It cuts off when you're asked to go to the WHO and give a conference on a Mediterranean diet and be asked about what it was like growing up in Mallorca. You, you kind of go, oh, no, 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 I, I just have a weird accent. I have, I have this tick. I pick up accents and I like, I like to be, I like to adapt. I'm a, not a Francophile, a Spanishophile. What would you call that? I don't know. A Latinophile? I don't know. Just, but yeah, she went down a murky road and maybe she was brought down a path and she didn't know when to say stop. Say stop when you married an international movie star and people are going to look into your background. It happens. Anyway. Long way of telling you this, and long way of getting around that I need to plug international, extremely wealthy celebrities who decided to start off their own podcast. Fair play to them. It's brave. It's really brave. You know, it's a lovely thing to do during lockdown. I'm delighted for them, and I hope they get a few listeners. So to help a few listeners go their way, both Hiaria or Hillary and Alec Baldwin have started their own podcast, and it's called. What's one more? And it's kind of a play on what's one more kid because they've got six kids under six. So they've got a new podcast. But hilariously, Hiaria or Hillary, still going by Iaria, is is now there with, with a very strong, it's not a Boston accent, it's a very strong, neutral American accent. But this podcast is all about being your most authentic self. Are you? Well, good. I'm delighted that you're working on that here. Yeah, that's good. Keep working on that. So that's this week's podcast. It is amazing, though, to think from Hiaria Baldwin to Angie Vagian, who can't help it, God love her, um, to Ian Baisley, just trying to be something that you're not and developing that. And Jim Sheridan gave an interview, um, and Brendan O'Connor, uh, which is our, our, on our national radio station here in Ireland, where he was talk, talking about Bailey being something that he's not. And he actually quoted Marlon Brando. And the quote is, acting in general is something that most people think that they're incapable of but they do it from morning to night. The most sublime acting I've ever seen is by ordinary people trying to show they feel something that they don't or trying to hide something that they do. It's something that everyone learns at the earliest age. And it's so true. And just some people take it to very bizarre extremes. Anyway, as always, get in touch. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you're watching or listening to. I'd love to hear that. And um, all the links are in the bio or in the show notes, rather. Follow me on social media. I'm up there on Instagram and Twitter. My email is also available if you want to get in touch. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.